Hello and welcome to Eating Between the Lines. I am your host, Therese Martinez, and I am so happy to have you here. If you want to untangle yourself from diet culture conditioning and get appropriate, actionable options to nourish your unique life and body, I'm going to dive deep into the nuanced spectrum of health to help you figure out what to prioritize in your journey without getting trapped in the extreme ideology of health optimization or total complacency. I am here to help you apply the science effectively, not rigidly, and get you feeling better in your body and mind. Here is how to eat between the lines. Hello, welcome back, you guys. Today we are talking about what it means to be healthy and kind of dissecting some of the influences of health and the definitions of being healthy and what that means and kind of the negative influencers of health promoting companies, individuals, and peers where things can kind of go awry with our attempt to be healthy. So we have all felt pressure to be healthier, I would say. Pressure to eat in a certain way to promote health, right? There's these blanketed general recommendations that many people hear often, eat less sugar, eat less processed food, eat more vegetables, exercise more. And so I want to talk about what it actually means to be healthy and why you believe the way that you do when it comes to being healthy, certain pressures you put on yourself. So first and foremost, there are many ways to be healthy. Defining health is a little bit about what this podcast is. There are a couple things you probably think about when it comes to determining your own state of health. One, it's kind of how you gauge your own health. So this would be along the lines of what's your energy like, your brain fog, how you feel, how's your digestion, your performance, um, maybe skin health. There's kind of these tangible markers that you might be able to identify in your own body that dictate your own belief of where your health status is. There's also influencers around research and medicine, doctors, labs that you get, diseases that are you know, talked about. And then there's also how others gauge your health that influence your own beliefs. You know, this could be your body size. It could be telling you work out more. You need to do this type of workout. You need to practice this type of meditation and these stress management modalities and et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of tough to navigate, right? And there's also this issue of like, you don't know what you don't know. I have had many clients come in to see me that won't really be complaining about energy. They'll have a different tangible marker of uh, something they want to improve. And we'll be working together for a little bit and all of a sudden their energy improves. I've heard it many times before where it's like, I had no idea how good I could feel. So sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And it makes it kind of tough to sort of gauge where you're at on that health spectrum, right? So it's just really helpful to have some self-reflection around this 
and kind of figure out what you want for your own self. First and foremost, figuring that out, right? Not these false promises that other people can say to you, but really understanding if it's something that you desire and then having that dictate your next steps. It's also important to recognize that, you know, everyone is on their own journey and it's really hard when individuals experience these transitions. You know, they they feel once they start feeling really good, they start to want to help everyone else feel really good, right? And I truly believe a lot of people have really good intentions when it comes to promoting healthy behaviors, healthy food intake, and possibly products because they have maybe oftentimes discovered it to help themselves pretty drastically. And it makes sense to want to help others in the same way. I struggle with this a lot, honestly, even as a practitioner, seeing people that I really think could be feeling even better or even knowing like when to back off, when to push, when to kind of help folks be a little bit more motivated to change, right? And it's really important to recognize that everyone is on their own journey and projecting personal experiences on others is so tempting because you want to help. But ultimately, I have found providing education, leading by example, and having concrete gauges of health to measure, like labs, um, are a pretty helpful place to start in terms of working on motivating others. And again, I have I really want to talk more about the whole projecting uh, personal experiences and wellness onto others but I think that's going to be a different podcast. So wanted to preface this with that and take it back a little bit here. Back to the basics. Why do we eat? So I would say there's a handful of reasons. First one, to live, you know, um, we eat for fuel. We eat to nourish ourselves. We eat to better perform. And first talking about those before getting into other reasons, I want to address that, yes, food is fuel, right? Food is so powerful when it comes to health. It's not everything when it comes to health, but it is so important. We've got macronutrients and micronutrients that really dictate how our body functions, like immensely. (laughs) I always get really like surprised-ish when folks do not connect how they feel to what they eat, like especially if there is, you know, low energy or digestive distress, and they just don't even consider maybe what they had to eat the night before or the morning. And it's just curious to me, but I also am not judging it because I feel like it's actually not that common to have this connectedness with your own body and self. I mean, like I wasn't really 
taught much about food and how it influences me when I was younger. If I didn't go into this field, I mean, I would probably really not understand it to the degree that I do now, right? But gosh, like it makes a huge difference with how we feel, how we absorb nutrients, how we age. It's everything, (laughs) but it's not everything. Um, That's kind of the point of this. It's a huge, huge part of our health though. And so I want to recognize that because I'm going to dive into other considerations here, but I do want to make it clear that I really believe in the power of nutrition. And so different approaches of intake can serve different people. So if we're looking back at macronutrients, I kind of like to think of these as like the coaches. So it's like protein, fat, carbs, fiber. They're calling the plays. They're they're making the strategies. They're kind of the big umbrella of, of how your body is functioning. And then the micronutrients are like the players. And I'm not sure if I... I seriously... This analogy came to me like two days ago when I was working with a client, and I think it's because of March Madness, because I I don't really do a whole lot of sports analogies, but like, and when I was describing it, I was totally picturing basketball. I don't even play basketball, but for whatever reason, that's what came to mind. So when you're thinking about micronutrients, we're talking about vitamins and minerals, and these guys are the players in the game. They... They're super important. Kind of think about like if you don't have your star player or players, it's going to make a pretty big difference with how your team performs, right? Other people are going to have to pick up the slack. Um, maybe you got some subs in. It's just going to make a difference with the, the overall functioning of the team and the body. So different approaches of intake can serve different people. More activity can mean that a person might need more carbs and protein. Different gut microbiomes tolerate different types and amounts of fiber. And over time, our bodies can really diversify with what we need because of what we consumed the rest of our lives earlier. And so it just plays a role with determining what you actually need because it's just not cut and dry to... um, recommend certain, of course, diets or certain blanketed ways of eating because it's just more individualized than that. But yes, food is fuel. Food nourishes us. Food facilitates performance. All of these things, super helpful to understand. And an issue I find with the hyper-focus on selling food as fuel are a few things. One, it sets up some pressure for individuals to always choose food that is healthy. Otherwise, they do not, quote unquote, care about their health. And it sort of puts this morality on their choices. You know, if a person is like seen to not be choosing healthful things, they risk judgment around what they're doing. And kind of creates this like hierarchy of being better or worse in this society. And it does not feel safe, honestly. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been in grocery stores and I will run into someone and they will immediately just start justifying 
what's in their basket or their grocery cart. And I'm like, dude, I do not care. Like, you do you. I'm not here to judge what you are consuming, right? So it also sets people up to earn their food, right? If there's so much pressure on like needing to be healthy and eat healthy, then it's like, okay, well, if I don't want healthy foods, then I have to do X, Y, and Z activity. Or maybe if I am super healthy for during the week, I can then be unhealthy on the weekend. And it's, oh gosh, it's just exhausting. And it it doesn't de- help a person develop a great relationship with food, right? It also simplifies why people eat. Again, we'll get into this a little bit later, but we eat for more reasons than just using food as fuel. Piggybacking off of, you know, food as fuel and food as nourishment and um, optimizing wellness is kind of another angle of treating food like this. It brings me to the wellness culture and my issues with the wellness culture, with wellness culture. So if you're not very familiar with wellness culture, it essentially equates wellness with moral goodness. It's, it's people and companies and products that are being sold to you and promoted to you in the name of health with an angle that it will make you a better person, right? It's kind of, it's, it's, it's different than holistic health and functional medicine-ish. Um, there are a few overlaps, especially with certain practitioners and professionals in the field, but I don't think that it's one of the same there. And I do want to be clear on that because I do actually have a lot of holistic and functional medicine practitioners that I admire and kind of believe myself to practice in some comparable ways. So just want to be clear there. I would say there's just a lot more unqualified pushers in the wellness culture. And what happens with wellness culture is they, they demonize foods and food groups on a whole. There's lots of fear mongering beyond just diet too. So it's skin health and toxins and hair health. And I am not one to believe we live in a beautifully clean world and are toxin free and don't need to question ingredients in products that we use. I just also think there is now an angle of bombardment around all things that might sort of be kind of toxic. And maybe that word is also being thrown around a lot. And so definitely gives reason to pause and question what they're pushing and why. Often they're promoting expensive alternatives and restrictive approaches to food and kind of like to gain more respect as a healthy individual and like a higher moral um, ground. Wellness culture utilizes guilt and shame motives a lot. And 
it just really doesn't address the nuance of nutrition. That's why I like those like blanketed statements of what to eat and what not to eat. Never consume seed oils ever. Like sugar is the devil. And like, that's just, there's, there's a ton. And it's really frustrating to see that because it hits people. It hit me so much. And so There's no productivity in promoting things like that when you're not taking the person into consideration or providing alternatives that aren't like slapping on eat less processed food, eat less sugar, eat more vegetables, have these 17 supplements and or my products and or like working out more, meditating more. Like these can be fine recommendations, but they're not really taking the person through them. They're not understanding the nuance of every individual when it comes to their health. And it is just scaring them. It's also leading people to this perfectionistic mindset sometimes. Like me and others I know too. Like if you're not doing it all, you're not doing enough. And it is really tiring. (laughs) Optimizing health can be inspiring and motivating. For sure. I know a lot of people that are just keep striving to feel better, um, perform better. And I think that that's wonderful. I also think that if you aren't addressing your personal hiccups and or understanding the complicated nature of all the things, as mentioned in the first episode, second, Um, There can be tendency to feel like shit when you don't abide. Taking care of your body and your mind is good for you. Like that's not up for debate. I think that um, it's just the, the tactics people use to motivate and to push people are flawed and they need to be addressed and you need to understand what's happening and order to take your next steps towards improving your own wellness. So when you put pressure on people to better themselves and you don't talk about the things around them that they can't control, it leads to a lot of self-blame and a lot of self-criticism. There's this quote that I found on Refinery29 that said, the self-betterment movement puts the onus on individuals to push against things that they have no control over. But what good is self-betterment if at the end of all that effort to improve ourselves, it's still a hostile, competitive, individualistic, pressurized, insecure, precarious world outside just waiting there when we finished. When yoga or smoothies or expensive spin classes are meant to help you reach clarity about yourself, it could be mentally jarring when your daily anxieties or dissatisfaction about your body does not go away. But the blame is never directed towards the acts that were meant to help you. Ugh. I love that and hate it, you know, too, because it's unfortunately so true. So it is important to create awareness around these influences and promises. We'll definitely be talking more about this in the future, but seed planted. So the next topic here is around other reasons we eat and kind of exploring this angle too. So 
We eat to experience and socialize and cope and relax. There are a lot of connotations with some of these that are not super positive. And I think it's just really unfortunate. And again, there's just so much nuance to why we eat what we do. And many times it isn't in the most helpful fashion that we are consuming foods and a coping mechanism, right? And it isn't necessarily leading to healthy behaviors regarding our mental health and maybe our physical health too. But I also think that some of these can be kind of demonized when they're not they're not bad. It's just they can be part of the human experience when it comes to food and how we, you know, connect with people, connect with ourselves, connect with our bodies. I remember being in this really stuck place when I was like deep in diet culture, wellness culture, probably at that point too, and wanting to socialize, um, but not wanting to eat the food or drink the drinks. Oh my gosh, like going out to pizza? No way. I would never go out to pizza because pizza was the worst, according to what I was um, in belief with at that time. So then it was kind of like, okay, well, what the heck do I do? Um, when I don't want to eat the food out that people are eating, and in my definition or a justification, it would be because I didn't feel good afterwards. It wasn't promoting my health. I didn't, you know, my blood sugars or would go crazy or, you know, those types of things. And yeah, like for sure, I totally believe that a person cannot want to go out and eat pub food because they will feel shitty later. Like a hundred percent. I still kind of definitely have restaurants and foods I don't like to eat and don't want to because they don't make me feel good. And because they are really crazy on my blood sugars and I just don't want to deal with that. But a lot of times, cause they just don't make me feel good. And I think that's totally valid. And I am not here to stand and tell people that like, no, 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 you want a burger and fries. You're just not allowing yourself to like, I don't know. But I do know for me, a lot of times, um, it would be because of the fear of the food wreaking havoc on my weight and my health. And I also believe there aren't like a lot of like feel good nutrient dense options for people eating out. And I know that that can be problematic as well. So there's just a whole lot to like going out to eat. But I'm kind of talking about more of the situation when maybe there's this dialogue that you're going through when you're going out somewhere that you want to you want to eat the food, but you're nervous because of influences of diet and wellness culture and what your own wiring, right? Um there can be a lot of reasons why people fear food. And it doesn't necessarily have to be around just health and weight. And um, it could be around, you know, fearing certain foods for like reasons when you went on an elimination diet a long time ago and, and are not, aren't sure if you can handle them. And that's a little bit of a different situation. But I also am just kind of providing some space to recognize that there are other reasons that people fear food. 
So here you are, you know, at a restaurant and with this menu in front of you, and you're seeing some options that like look so good. And there's like no way you can order them because of what I mentioned before around your beliefs of repercussions that may or may not be super valid. And there are other options on there that you've kind of been told that like, okay, these are healthier. Where's the protein and the fiber, the veggies, you know, where's, where's the, the, the quote, quote, cleaner choice here. And so I've been in both situations, honestly. Sometimes I do straight up want to just go for the option that is is going to be a little bit more promoting for me to feel, be a sure thing to feel good. And sometimes I want to go for the other option that um, isn't guaranteed, but it sounds really, really delicious. And some of them, they also don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I, um, I don't want to... <laughs> say that like healthier food is not delicious. Uh, this is actually something that comes up often with uh, clients of mine when I'm sort of talking about richer, hyperpalatable foods versus foods that are not in that genre um, that can also be equated to being a little more nutrient-dense or healthy, but it contrasts that variable, right? So it's like, oh, okay. So hyperpalatable equals super duper tasty and kind of addicting and really delicious. And then healthy foods are not, and maybe a little bit more bland and maybe less exciting. And just like sidebar, that's really not true. I believe that healthy foods and nutrient dense foods can be super tasty. Um, they just, it can, it can also take a little bit of time for your palate to evolve to really enjoy them. And also it takes time to develop skills to cook and use super flavorful ingredients that make them taste really yummy. So um, just a little note on that. <laughs> but in any case, um, here you are kind of debating between these two options. So one, wanting to not feel like crap. Two, you're also wanting delicious food. Three, you're going back and forth because you can't trust yourself to watch portion sizes. Maybe you want the delicious food, but you get a little nervous about how much you're going to consume. And then uh, four, kind of wondering if this will derail your hard work, quote, quote. Five, um, you know, you either opt for something that you don't actually feel like, but maybe you feel better about yourself later, or you opt for the food that sounds good and you inhale it, hardly mindful, and you feel like crap. So that's kind of like the step-by-step -step <laughs> dialogue that I think goes on in a lot of us when we're out to eat. And so what does this teach us? You know, Overall, it kind of teaches us that we can't trust ourselves, right? We can't really trust ourselves to know what to consume that's going to facilitate us um, in our best interests at that time. You know, if it's going to be a healthful choice that we want to consume, if it's going to be something that's 
healthful in a different way because it nourishes our soul and it tastes really freaking good. And it's something I, you don't usually have. And that in and of itself is a different type of healthy option. Um, but we wonder if we can stop with portions because we can't over consume. And let's check those narratives, like, like break that down a little bit. So influence A, we have this wiring that this meal is unhealthy and unhealthy equals bad, which equals I'm a person that doesn't care about their health. Influence B, wiring that this food will make me gain weight. And gaining weight is not safe in this society. Influence C, wiring that I cannot trust myself and my hunger cues, so I can't control my intake and will overeat or I will feel super restricted. This is a lot of our reality. And I just encourage you guys to rewind that and reflect on those narratives. I'm going to have future podcasts that kind of work on breaking some of these down, utilizing a skill I love in dialectic behavioral therapy called Check the Facts. But for right now, I just want that to ruminate a little bit, sit on it for a little while, and I don't know, gosh, see if you relate or not. Honestly, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of tough. You know, even as a practitioner, wanting to promote health without being too rigid while taking considerations in mind while balancing intake and figuring out like what's too much, what's balanced, what can I actually consume while staying healthy, right? It goes back into that 80-20 mindset. And so how the heck do you navigate this? And I think one of the initial steps is recognizing why you are eating and why, like just touching base with your body, recognizing we eat for many reasons that are not just for fuel and nutrient density, pleasure, fun, texture, comfort, etc. And with intention and awareness, we can become more mindful of why we are eating what we are, and not be so impulsive and or passive around our choices sometimes, right? This is, it's not a cut and dry situation and scenario, even as we develop skills to be more mindful. Um, we will more often than not always encounter scenarios in our life where we just might be mindless, right? We might be impulsive. We might set ourselves up to overconsume or underconsume or be just disconnected from our bodies. But the goal isn't to be perfect with it. The goal is to just be a little better, right? Also, as a person evolves, there can be a trend toward naturally engaging and craving more healthful foods and foods that serve other purposes. This kind of brings me into intuitive eating. Now, I am not a certified intuitive eating counselor. 
I do not claim to be one. I do utilize a good handful of their of practices with intuitive eating with my clients and my own self because I have gone through a lot of intuitive eating courses personally. Intuitive eating is largely this idea that you can give yourself full permission to consume any food. And it's a little bit more complicated than that for sure. Um, so please don't like go hating on intuitive eating because there it's not just like saying eat whatever, whenever, and they don't care about eating healthy and that kind of thing. But it is just examining the idea that a lot of the reasons we have issues with our relationship with food is because of the overlying uh, like rules and uh, shoulds and shouldn'ts and guilt and shame and, that we have encountered throughout our lives around food. And we have gotten out of our own selves and have lost this connection of what our body actually needs and wants. And we are our behaviors are dictated through the shoulds and shouldn'ts of, of society, of diet culture, wellness culture, of our own um, beliefs around what is healthy, what is not, what we need, what we don't, versus like truly engaging with our own self. And so um, I like to utilize a lot of that philosophy and kind of take an angle that also understands that, you know, we can't just go into intuitive eating. And intuitive eating counselors, I also believe, do not believe, think that that's the case. It is. But since I don't know, I'm just kind of saying this is my belief and, and what I practice with people. So our body can use some assistance through the process of being able to trust itself more. If we're really wired to love hyperpalatable foods that are not very nutrient dense, it will be kind of harder to shift to eating foods that have a little bit more nutrients that are, might be considered more healthful. So there's a process. There's a you know a kind of incorporation of foods into your life and lifestyle through a pace that is appropriate for you to start to heal your body. And this kind of goes back into building your database and the importance of, of having someone help you with skills, knowledge, and abilities to figure out where you need to be met on this journey and assisted, held accountable to progress appropriately and to kind of improve hunger cues, improve trust with your body, untangle the wiring and figure out what is going to work best for you. You know, our gut microbiome is shaped in a specific way because of the way that we've eaten for so long. It can dictate cravings. Um, it dictates our, our, our palates are shaped a certain way because of how we've eaten for so long. So there are certain things that like fully are um, shaped because of how we've eaten that needs some assistance to shift, to promote healthier eating patterns down the line. And so we want to 
address that. We want to address the personal relationship with food and body. And so it's not quite as simple as just like, quote, quote, listening to your body. But it is possible to get to a better place there. So summing up, one, figure out what health means to you. Short-term, long-term, possibly get some assistance with figuring it out. Two, be wary of wellness and diet culture promises. Look within yourself. You've heard that money can't buy happiness, right? I mean, people still buy things believing they will lead to happiness. Um, Consciously or subconsciously? Uh, And I think it's kind of the same with wellness. So it just helps to give some pause to your actions when you are buying promises and products and um, philosophies, right, with what people are, are talking about. You are your own best and one experiment. If things aren't working, perhaps there's a reason. And especially if you're feeling stressed and guilty and ashamed with what you are doing or with what you are not doing. Lastly, give yourself some grace in the journey toward trusting yourself more. We are so wired. We need to heal. We need to learn how to heal and how to promote health for our own selves in whatever way that looks. All right. Hope this helped. I will talk to you guys next time. Have a wonderful, beautiful, healthful rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening today. If you found this information valuable, please share this episode and give it a review. They truly help a ton. If you want additional support and information, you can head over to my website, teresemartinezrd.com, where you can snag my free guide on how to improve your hunger signals, get on my email list for regular juicy content, or apply for the next round of my signature program, Restoring Nutrition Intuition. Otherwise, Instagram at teresemartinezrd or my Facebook group, Fed Fit and Fad Free Nutrition with Therese are always places for more content and support. Until next time.